Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Dr. John, and I am thrilled to announce that Jory and I are opening up our retreat in beautiful Costa Rica from September 28th of 2024 to October 5th. Everyone wants fulfilling relationships. The hard part is love is not enough. So many factors can get in the way preventing ongoing connection, intimacy, and aligned growth. All healthy relationships start within. But when we have unresolved stuff, it can easily interfere with those we are seeking to be closest with. Whether you're in a long-term committed partnership or are single and are looking for love, this retreat will guide you in the heroic journey of healing yourself so that you can be open and available to cultivate the fulfilling relationships you desire and deserve. To find out more, visit joryrose.com slash retreats. That's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E dot com slash retreats. Hey, welcome back. This is Jory Rose with Journey Forward with Jory Rose. And I am doing a joint podcast episode with my fiance. This is Dr. John with the Evolved Caveman Podcast. And we are launching this fourth season of both of our podcasts with a joint conversation to very vulnerably and honestly, to the extent that (laughs) fully feels appropriate to share this publicly, our journey of how we have healed our relationship after a hard year of breakup and now not just healed, but really the, the best that we've ever been in partnership with one another. Yeah, after eight years together. And, and I think this is going to be a little bit uh, tricky and difficult. We've tried recording this a couple times before and said, ah, let's wait a little bit longer. Yeah, we got a little bit triggered there. But that was a couple of months ago. We've come so far even yeah. since then. One, I think it's hard so, to talk about. It's it hard is shit. hard to talk about. It is. And I know during our breakup, we disappointed a whole lot of people <laughs> because they were like, if you guys can't figure this relationship stuff out, how are we supposed to? Because we've been educated, trained, we teach this, we guide this, we've been doing this professionally for so many years. And I just want to remind everyone, doing the work professionally does not always mean you can engage in it personally because it's a different set of tools to be able to put it to use in the most vulnerable and real of relationships. Well, and I think that, you know, one of the things that this pointed out was, you know, that line from Terry Real really is true of, you know, most relationships don't end because of something major, like a transgression. Most relationships end death by a thousand paper cuts, which is the accumulation of those little hurts, annoyances, and irritations. Right. And the other truism by Terry Real that relationships are a dance of harmony, disharmony, and repair. And I think for you and I, we were getting stuck in the harmony and disharmony part and weren't having effective repair to get out of that cycle. And I feel like we've done it. Yeah, I do too. So I think we can take our our listeners back uh, perhaps about a year because that really seemed to be the start of the downward spiral that we got stuck in. And I I do want to say that 
as John pointed out, this was not just one issue that led to a breakup for us. But in addition to what we were struggling with, with with each other, we soon began to realize how much of what our struggles were, were a function of the, the stuff that we had unhealed, perhaps from our marriages and childhoods that was really getting in the way of showing up vulnerably, authentically, communicating in a way that felt safe and so as we share our story, there's there's layers to all of this. And I hope yeah, that we'll I, get to all of those. I think there's three layers, right? There's what happened in early childhood and how that impacts us. And, and this is the general us, all of us. Um, and then there's what's happened in past relationships that's traumatized you or left a, a mark on you. And then there's this current relationship. And I think that question that we would occasionally ask each other, like, does this really have to do with me? Or is this about your last relationship? Or is this about your childhood? Is a really relevant and powerful question. Because those are really difficult to disentangle sometimes. And we're talking about the few minutes when you're at your very worst, when you're most, most emotionally triggered and feeling shame or feeling anger or feeling sadness or disconnection or abandoned. That's really what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the 99% of the time when you're at your best or relatively normal, relatively rational. We're talking about your most emotional state. Yeah. And the stories that we tell ourselves, right? I Mm -hmm. think you and I and everyone has these narratives that we believe as capital T truths. And as long as we are holding on to those narratives as truth, it's preventing us from connecting. Yeah. Do you want to start with what happened with us last summer? Or do you want to go back to what our narratives were from when we were young? Well, I can go back to when I was young and and okay. some of the things that happened that I realized that were impacting me in this relationship. And, you know, one of the things that I really struggled with was your travel, travel without me. Um, and I realized that I would get really triggered when you travel and it seemed disproportionate. And it also would trigger things in me like, um, I don't know, I guess it was abandonment fears. Um, And I had to look back to my childhood and realize there was several times when my parents would leave to go to the other side of the world, uh, Russia, Europe, uh, wherever, for some length of time, three or four weeks. And I was left at home with, you know, a 20-year-old babysitter. And I think the first one, I was like maybe four or five. And my sister was six. And, you know, some some disturbing things happened during some of those vacations of my parents that really left a mark on me. And I mean, one, I can share that, you know, I think I was six. My sister wanted to go to a a movie. The the babysitter took us to an R-rated movie. I think it was the house down the lane or something, which is about, uh, you know, I think it's like three or four couples go to this lake house. A biker gang comes by breaks into the house, rapes all the women, kills all the men, kills most of the women. And then one woman survives. And then she, the whole movie is about her reclaiming her vengeance or claiming vengeance on this biker gang. Um, to the point Perfect of full movie for nudity, one guy gets his dick cut off. I mean, like to see this at six, I'm like, wow, this is not a safe world. And so when my yeah. parents leave, bad shit happens. And and so then when you would leave, I think I would get brought back to that age and that state. Yeah. And that took us a couple of years to even figure that out. 
in yeah. recognizing. And well, I'm, I'm going to start with what some of my early stuff was that I think I brought into the relationship because I think maybe starting from these foundational narratives, not everyone recognizes in partnership how pervasive they can be, especially like you said, when we're triggered or we're feeling highly sensitive and you and I are both highly sensitive, <laughs> which I think is great because we feel deeply and we didn't always have the best skill of navigating when we were both in that space at the same time. And I had a huge narrative around abandonment. I mean, it's kind of in my DNA, <clears throat> transgenerational trauma from my mom's parents being killed in a car accident, my dad committing suicide, and believing that people leave. And that wasn't a fear in my life. That was an actual reality. So it wasn't a fear based on well, those scenarios. Right. And but it was rooted in some, you know, real life scenarios in yeah. which people did leave. And coupled that with the belief that my emotions would push people away. And that part became really rooted when I was in high school, um, when I was dating my ex-husband when I was quite young. And it was very clear that I was told I was too much. And so that led me to believe that being myself when I was experiencing my emotions was too much for others and it would push them away and they would leave. So it's kind of these two fears combined. And what that looks like was an anxious attachment style. And so there would be times where I would feel insecure with something about you and I, I would feel cautious in how to express it because I was sensitive to not wanting to offend you or to not making you angry because I knew how sensitive you are and was very careful to not say anything that would be hurtful. So on the one hand, it would limit my authenticity and communication. And on the other hand, if I did speak up, it would easily trigger something in you in which created an avoidance attachment style for you in which you would shut down and need some space, which and, I interpreted that as abandonment. And that dynamic, I think, grew over time. It grew more str it it grew stronger. Um, and was reinforced with these, you know, I would say somewhat infrequent disagreements over things. Or when right. you would say something and it would trigger you, you'd be like, aha, there it is. Right. It, it doesn't take much, in other words, to reinforce these dynamics if yeah. you're hyper aware or looking for them. And this anxious avoidant dance became a pattern for a bit. Not and frequently, a real problem. And really hard. And the more we both looked into this and realized how pervasive this is for many couples, there was some comfort in saying, okay, at least we know what's going on here, but shit, what do we do about this? Because it was this self-fulfilling cycle, right? Of We would trigger each other. The more anxious I got, the more you needed space, the more you needed space, the more anxious I got. And that went on for quite some time. Yeah. And, and let me jump in there because I think this, this, piece is really important. And I think it's going to be really illustrative for others. So we would get in a disagreement and I could hang in there for about 15 minutes or so in an emotionally charged conversation. And then I would start to get flooded. And when I would start to get flooded emotionally, I would shut down because in my head, I'm thinking, oh, don't say anything that's going to hurt Jory's feelings in anger. So my motivation was to protect you. And that level is true. You. 
And on the other hand, to you, it was, and it looked like, defensiveness and stonewalling and shutting down. So to you, it felt like I'm withdrawing. It felt like abandonment, which triggered your anxious attachment style to pursue me more, whether physically or verbally. And I'm trying to get space and distance to calm myself down. And we tried different things like, honey, I'm getting triggered. Give me 20 minutes and I'll be back. And and so we tried different things to interrupt this cycle and weren't having a whole lot of success. But one of the things I realized in those moments is at the very height of it, for a few minutes, maybe a few seconds, I was overwhelmed by shame, which you, if you had asked me you know, five years ago, do you ever feel shame? I would have been like, no. And how I identified that shame was that I would hear thoughts in my head. I would I would get overwhelmed. I was angry. Then I would get sad. And then I would hear thoughts like, oh, she'd be better off without me. Or I'm no good at this relationship stuff. Or I should just be alone. Which is all the belief that I am unworthy of love, connection, and belonging. And so then I had to kind of look at my own shame and do my work around that. And then I think the other important piece here was that one of the big ahas you had was that that attachment, the anxious attachment style that you've had isn't merely an anxious attachment style. Do you want to go into that? Yeah. And that anxious attachment style, I would show up in ways that to be honest, I, I was really, really embarrassed by because it brought out a part of me that felt really unevolved or unaware and or emotional. Well, yeah, but in the moments, those were judgments I had on myself. Like, why can't I get my shit together? What's wrong with me? I, why can't I regulate? And I think we eventually got to understanding that what we were each seeking, and I'll get back to the other piece you were mentioning in a second, but this is important as well. We were both seeking regulation, Mm -hmm. right? We were both flooded. We were both overwhelmed. You were seeking regulation through distance and alone time. And space, and I was seeking regulation through connection, and they were competing needs, Mm -hmm. and that was such a challenge because these needs that we each had, which were valid, real, and true, Mm -hmm. were in competition with each other, and And neither (laughs) one of us could get our needs met in those moments. And I I generally felt like your avoidance won out over my anxious. I think that was true for a period of time. For a period of time, and then. And really trying to understand, like, okay, what's really going on here? I had this realization, oh, shit, this isn't just anxious attachment. My reaction is so strong because it was actually a trauma response. And, you know, when we feel a trauma response, we're not being logical. We're not being rational. The nervous system is dysregulated. I mean, that's one of the ways that I, I like to define trauma is dysregulation of the nervous system by even a trigger that may not have anything to do with what's actually happening, but the mind is perceiving that as this is fear self-protect. This is an unsafe situation. And when I was able to recognize this is more than just me being anxious and me freaking out and you know grasping and clinging for connection, and I was able to sit with this awareness of this is a trauma response, what did that do for you? Well, and I think, so, because what you were feeling in those moments, if I may, was panic. 
It was. I mean, it was. It's the most intense emotion I've ever seen out of you at times. And I think flipping it from an anxious attachment style in my head to a trauma response. As soon as you said that, I was like, "Oh snap!" Like, holy shit, that's absolutely true. And that means I've got to pull my head out of my ass and stop my avoidant attachment style and put my needs second in order to reassure you first. And I think that, so that series of realizations really helped us to dismantle that pretty dangerous dynamic we were in. Yeah, very, very much so. It took us a while to get there. Uh, Yeah, seven years. (laughs) But but we did it. A lifetime. Because I mean, one of the things that enters into this for me is that I didn't believe that change was possible in that that withdrawal, that avoidance, that overwhelm, that shutdown, that stonewalling. Because in myself, I didn't think change, I didn't think I could change that because I've never been able to change that. And it's something that I've tried for decades to change. And so first, the first step I had to make was, no, stop that. That's bullshit. You can change this. You need to change this. Let's work on it. And let's believe change is possible. Because yeah. that's got to be the first step for any of this stuff, right? If you don't believe change is possible, guess what? It ain't possible. Right. And and that's, you know, ultimately at the root of one of the questions a lot of our clients ask us is, how do I know I should stay in this relationship or not? And we've always answered, if your partner has a growth mindset, there's hope for anything, right? If there's a fixed mindset, it, it's going to be stuck. And But, but on I that point, you- if I can interrupt there, on that point, those fixed or growth mindsets are very specific and context specific. So you might have a growth mindset about a bunch of relationship skills and then a fixed mindset about one little piece of yourself. So just be aware as you're looking for these in yourself, they can be, they're specific. They're not across the board. So these patterns, we would get into this anxious avoidant dance. I would have this fear of my own emotions pushing John away. I would sometimes limit what I shared and would hold back. And then at the same time, while I had this fear, like when, you know, he brings up my travel, I also was, was fiercely independent in many ways. And so I, I was demonstrating this oxymoron of all I want is this deep connection, but I also need independence. And that was something for many years, I wasn't able to hear from you. Mm -hmm. And I realized at some point what was going on for me there was I had grown up being so dependent on my mom and so dependent on my ex-husband that to me, what I was experiencing was growth. And I wanted you as my partner to be proud of my growth. And I couldn't see that my growth in this one area and my need to continue to demonstrate that growth was hurting you. Well, and I I think I was proud for a period of time, but the more the travel hurt me, um, because there was things like where you were traveling with your ex-husband, which to me was embarrassing, hurtful, disrespectful. It was awful. Like I I just couldn't conceive of it. and and so then the yeah I, I couldn't celebrate your growth anymore because it came at such a cost to me personally. Right, and I was looking at it from the lens of look what a evolved divorce I have. That as co-parents we can do these things for my daughters, and and I wasn't able to hear you. And that was one of the biggest frustrations you had had with me was I 
And I don't think I'd ever thought of myself as defensive. And yet I was being very defensive in my own righteousness around but what I'm doing is okay without really truly hearing you. And I'm so sorry for that because I know you tried yeah, you. for a very long time. And that awareness was big for me of, oh shit, if I'm not listening to this, what else am I not hearing from him? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the not feeling heard was a consistent theme in a few issues. Um, and, you know, after a while and, and interrupting was one of the issues, um, whether you or your daughters and after a while of being interrupted so frequently and so pervasively, I just stopped sharing stories at the dinner table. Like I was just like, fuck it. Yeah. Like, what's the point? I, I'm being interrupted repeatedly. I've brought it up repeatedly. Nobody's hearing me. I, I'm just going to stop. I, I don't yeah. have that much. I don't have that great a need to share what I'm wanting to share. I'll just shut up. Yeah. So as you said in the beginning, some of these things were small paper cut that grew over time, which is really ironic. So I remember when we first started dating and things were absolute perfection and bliss for so long. I remember asking the question, at what point do relationships start building resentment? Like, Because I couldn't conceive at that time early on us ever getting to that place, which was why it was so painful to see that we were there. And we would, you know, for many years, maybe these patterns came up once or twice a year, but then there seemed to be this accumulation of them that sped up over more recent years, which I think brings us to last summer, in which there was a series of unrelated events that all at the same time kind of came to a threshold. Do you want to share what maybe for you what some of those were? Uh, refresh my memory. Well, COVID. You had your back oh, surgery. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. So you're going there. So yeah, so COVID, um, our, our client load increased. The needs of our clients increased. Um, I was in incredible pain due to spinal stenosis uh, where the nerves in my spine were being impinged, which led to random nerve pain, which was like an 11 on a 10-point scale. Like It would hit me and I would just drop to the floor and, and look for the nearest place to lie down. Um, so I had that, I had spinal surgery day after my birthday, I think that was 2020, 2020, um, during the height of COVID, I then had to recover from that. Um, my oldest daughter was splitting time 50, 50 between me and my ex-wife, my ex-wife, your youngest daughter, sorry, my youngest daughter, um, and her being over at her mother's house was almost every time. Uh, a source of tears and crying and pain and suffering. And when she came back, when she was there, I would get texts saying, I can't take it anymore. I hate it here. When she would come back, it would be an unloading. She would be depressed. Um, and it, it led to a suicide attempt at her mom's house um, the, a year later. And, and so I think, you know, between those three things, uh, my mood dipped and I became yeah. increasingly <laughs> depressed, which only added other- to irritability. The other thing that that impacted was then you had her 100% of the time. Yeah. I had my kids about 80% of the time. This was Which was still a blessing, COVID. but also, you know. But it was hard on our relationship. I, it, and we've always been, you know, put the kids first 100% in support of that. And it was 100% the right thing. And it created less time for us. Mm-hmm. And there were times where, you know, normally we'd see each other every other day at least. And there were times where it could be over a week, two weeks 
that we wouldn't see each other. And yeah. that I know was really taxing because it makes us both irritable. Makes us both irritable. But I also know for you, you'd get self-protective during that time apart. So when we would reconnect, it was a little bit of a hard re-entry to, to connect with each other. And for me, I know I was going through an immense amount of anticipatory grief last summer as you know, my oldest was going off to college and my youngest was leaving for a semester. And so this fear of abandonment was really, really heightened for me as they were both leaving the same week. And so I knew that was kind of in my horizon. So it was kind of a, a perfect storm of these patterns that had accumulated over time that were unsuccessful in our resolution of them, combined with these life circumstances that were preventing us to truly connect. And so we, we ended up going to Italy last summer, which I, we were just talking the other day. I still look back on that trip really fondly. I Even though there was some hard moments at the end that created really big disconnection, luckily that doesn't cloud my vision or memory of that trip because it, it still was magical in, in all the ways that Italy can be. But we had a handful of disconnects that we just couldn't recover from and it, I don't even think the details are worth going into because they're so ridiculous. But it was that was the point we were at where like the most ridiculous thing was enacting this pattern that at this point had become more ingrained. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, some of those became the straw that broke the camel's back in my mind. Yeah. And so we come home from Italy and I say that I want to go to couples therapy. And that was really triggering for you. What was coming up for you? Yeah, when that was I suggested really that? difficult. Um, I, I think part of it was, you know, the trauma that I have from trying to do couples therapy with my ex-wife. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, trying to do couples therapy with someone who has some narcissistic tendencies is not a good idea. Um, because of the gaslighting, the distortion, the lying. Um, and, and I think that's also why you know, the pattern of not being heard in our relationship was mm -hmm. more triggering for me than maybe it should have been. Eh, I don't know. Yeah. But it, it was a pattern of things that I had, you know, experienced in my prior relationship. Um, but I think because I was depressed and over-focused on the negative, you know, I remember he asked, first session asked, you know, what'd you fall in love with? And I just was like, word vomit, like, bleh, here's all the stuff that I'm bugging, that's bugging the shit out of me. And I was like, it was like, oh, that's I, I a problem. Have to say, I, I'm going to be, you know, self-deprecating in my own tendencies right now. But one of the, I mean, after I, you, you, you really were like resistant for therapy and you gave me these criteria of the therapist we had to go to. And I actually found someone who met like really high standards of criteria, trainings, PhD, so like I found the guy. And it, unfortunately, it was in like an hour drive away, which I remember from, you know, my marriage going to couples therapy. Coming home on the same car afterwards can be a really painful experience, yeah. let alone when you have an hour drive together. But so we're, we're sitting in the lobby. I'm just going to paint this picture because... Oh, this was hilarious. <laughs> so I, I think he's quite particular about things. And, you know, on a good day, when John makes fun of my peculiarities of how I like things organized, I, I can really roll with it. And so can he. But when we're not in a good space, those little things become become big so we're sitting in the lobby waiting i know it's tense i i can feel john being so uncomfortable and i'm sitting in the chair of the waiting room and across the room there was a lamp and the lamp shade 
theme was facing out into the room versus like having the theme be in the back. So I couldn't see it. So me being, you know, John likes to joke a little OCD at times. I get up and I fix the lampshade to turn the theme to the back. And as soon as I do it, I'm like, oh, fuck. This is going to be brought up in therapy about how I'm OCD. I'm like, I just like gave him fuel for the fire. So sure enough. Seconds before. Sure enough, we, we get into the therapy session and, you know, this very kind, soft-spoken male therapist just says, you know, what, what is it you love about this person to make you want to be with them? What do you like about your partner? And John just started ripping into me. And I couldn't access it. Yeah. And then one and of the... He, one of the and he, of course, mentioned yeah. the lampshade in the waiting room. And it was so painful for me. And it was a two-hour session that after, you know, seven years together, here we were. And he couldn't find one thing about why he was happy to be with me. And to me, that was a reflection of, the lens he was looking through was so negative, he couldn't access the good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and and so I think, you know, that was... So then, you know, after that, I tried to break up several times with you. Well, yeah, you broke up with me the next day over the phone. Yeah. And that was, you know, my kids had been gone for just a week. And so the timing for me was like, see, there's abandonment. That's what happens, right? It confirmed my deepest fears. And the day after that, you came over and we had this talk in which some of your own realizations of, I think, some of the avoidant behavior and the shutdown. So we, we quickly got back together, though I did take my ring off. But that was end of September. And so from September till January was this on again, off again, on again, off again pain. I mean, it was, we, we kept trying and we just couldn't quite get there. Yeah. Until we finally broke up seemingly for good. Um, January 22nd. <laughs> I know the days. Um, and then we had two months apart and those two months were really difficult. We also sucked at being broken up. Like, I don't think yeah. we went more than five days without some sort of communication. We kept sort of making excuses, I would say, to see each other. Like I would tell you I had to bring you stuff and we'd end up sitting in the car at the parking lot of Pete because I didn't trust either one of us to be at each other's homes because we clearly were still in love. Like it was obvious yeah. that this no, wasn't the, the love was that, never in question. No, and I was just gonna say that that's the thing here. Like we I, I knew this wasn't about love. And that's what made it so fucking hard was I knew we loved each other. And on that final breakup day, like that was one of my most anxious trauma reactions of nearly having a panic attack yeah. at the side of the car. like, And I'm so embarrassed to think back to why couldn't I pull my shit together? A, I loved you so, so much. I just couldn't fathom my life without you. And yet, interestingly enough, I had this deep knowing in my gut that it wasn't over. Like I had this deep, deep knowing we would somehow get back together. But in my logical, rational mind, I had no idea what that path was. I couldn't ever see what that path was going to be, but 
I knew it wasn't, it couldn't be done. Like, how, how could yeah. we not figure this out? Yeah, so I don't know how much you want to go into the two months um, of being split up. It was a painful two months. We both dated other people, which then added a whole nother level of trauma to us getting back together and hurt and pain. And I think ultimately, you know, you realize, I would say pretty quickly, because it was Valentine's Day, the day after actually that you texted me. Mm-hmm. And so it was really only about three and a half weeks after that, you know, what seemingly was final breakup of acknowledging, oh shit, what, what did I do? Like, I, this isn't right. And I was quite guarded at that point because mm-hmm. I felt that this up and back had, you know, that, that in of itself was traumatizing for me. I mean, my regulation yeah. was so off and I, I didn't know if I could trust you and I wanted to with all my heart because despite the pain, all I ever wanted was to make this relationship work. And so it, it took a, a couple of times of, you know, kind of slowly dipping our toe in the water. But then you, you, you brought something to our attention that could be helpful for us. And this is where the story turned. <laughs> So, you want to kind of go into the background there? Sure. Of, of yeah. So I've been, I've been working with a client for about 10 years, uh, treatment resistant depression, high anxiety, really slow movement. He's had suicidal thoughts daily for the last 10 years at least. Um, and occasionally I get frustrated with the slow progress. And so I'll throw out a new idea. And And we've tried everything with this young man. Um, short of electroshock therapy. And I'd been doing research on psilocybin and treatment-resistant depression. Uh, I'd done, and psilocybin's magic mushrooms, for those of you who aren't in the know. I had done mushrooms back in college, um, found them to be amazing just in terms of opening you up to new realities. The understanding I took away was that, you know, Everything in this world is interconnected, which is kind of the opposite of depression, where you feel isolated and alone. So I brought this up to him as a possibility, and he said, yeah. So I said, great, there's clinical trials all over California, let's get you into one. And he was like, I couldn't do that, my anxiety wouldn't allow it, which I I kind of understand, I I get that. So ultimately, to make a long story short, um, his dad found a place to source mushrooms. we, I went to his house and sat him while he had a journey. Uh, since then, he's done it several times in the past year and a half. And the results have been pretty spectacular. Mood's gone from a two to a six on a 10-point scale. Greater flexibility of thinking, more open-mindedness, greater motivation. Um, and he's actually enjoying life at times and anticipating in a positive sense future events, which, which never happened. So this was going on and I brought this to you and said, you know, what do you think about this in an effort to heal ourselves? And, you know, the, the the research you'd been sharing with me for quite some time is is absolutely remarkable. I mean, one of the things that I know you've said is psychiatrists don't have a, a medicine in their tool cabinet as effective for healing Depression, anxiety, trauma as what even just one experience with the psilocybin can do. And so 
having never been someone who was into drugs or really experimented with drugs myself, my natural anxiety was clearly, you know, present. And I, I, I do want to back up just one short little bit that we didn't mention. Once we decided to get back together, we did go back to couples therapy. And this was, you know, to me, after having that first experience in which, you know, it, it led off with the negative lens and, and quick shutdown, this was really the, the best commitment that John could have offered to me because it wasn't just, you know, a regular therapy session. It was two days of six hours each day at this couple's home in Santa Cruz. So we went down there, stayed the weekend and six hours a day of therapy is intense for anybody. And we hadn't quite yet built back our reservoir of positive emotion and connection a hundred percent. So it was still very difficult, but the fact that you were willing and wanted and actually found the therapist and took that initiative and sat there with me for those 12 hours, which at times were really hard. So thank you for that. But it was also when he says he wants to be with me and he'll do anything, but, but that was a huge, huge drop in my positive bucket of this man is willing to do what he can to commit to healing our relationship because prior, you know, just the thought of going to therapy was overwhelming. So you know, that, that was a really powerful experience, but realized even though that therapy of those 12 hours was helpful, there was still some limitations to talk therapy, right? Because some of these traumas or these narrative or these wounds, they're, they're deeply embedded. That is hard to access through language. Yeah. And, and shout out to Charlie and Linda Bloom in Santa Cruz. They, they were amazing, but you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the things that we experienced on a profound level, I think, is there's a limit to talk therapy. That yeah. some of these hurts are pre-verbal. Some of them are in our DNA or our cellular memory. Um, especially, you know, like trauma, for example. And and so, you know, how do you get at some of these wounds? in a way that can help you to heal them effectively. Yeah. And so me, now. Yeah. This, this paved the path for psilocybin. Yeah. And so when he suggested this at this point, I, I was like, if it can heal the parts that we still feel stuck in, because now at this point I was a hundred percent committed to the relationship. I saw that you were committed. We just had now to get through the hurt mm -hmm. that talking sometimes was actually making it worse. Retriggering. Yeah. And even as evidence that, you know, now you and I are reporting this at the last week of August, we tried doing this in June and we, we couldn't even make an outline because even yeah. then it was still a little bit too triggering. So how are you doing right now? I'm doing great. Yeah, me too. So this is, you know, in real I mean, it's time. Still, it's still difficult. Great might be overstating it, but I'm, I'm good. Well, and, and I think for me, I can name, you know, the thoughts as they come up, I can recognize, oh, that was a really painful time. I can decide to go down the path of following the thought of the pain, but I'm not feeling any dysregulation in my system. I feel pretty grounded and centered, right? And I, I think that power to recognize that the thoughts are always going to be there, 
and you have choice of how much you want to engage in them. But from a nervous system regulation standpoint, I'm not feeling any flooding right now. I'm not feeling overwhelmed. I'm regulated. I'm grounded. I'm centered. Yeah. So we decided to embark on a journey, which was pretty anxiety provoking for me because I, you know, had never really experienced that. And the unknown used to scare me. And I have to say it was one of the most absolutely profound experiences of my whole life to have that day together. And what we were able to access on an unconscious, like nonverbal level, just eye contact, sitting with one another, recognizing our connection, the power of our connection, the strength of our love, seeing each other through the most strongest positive lens I think possible that one can see another. Recognizing realization for me was recognizing the goddess within you yeah in in all her glory and how i didn't want to hold that energy back and i I realized that i had been at some level holding that energy back and what a disservice that was to you and your true essence yeah thank you for that that was I, i remember that moment so clearly of that realization and I very quickly was able to recognize the reciprocity of the God in you. And I think there was some piece that we were both holding each other back from truly expanding into the the full extension of the essence in which we are born with, that we know was there, that for whether it was our traumas, our childhood, our past relationships, these paper cuts, these wounds with one another was preventing that light to really shine. And that mm-hmm. day was a turning point for that. Yeah, in and, and a I think massive you know, I, way. I realized that I had been holding you back at some level, not tremendously, I don't think, but I was not able to see that prior to that moment. Yeah. And and a lot of my hurt, a lot of my attachment to even what happened during our breakup, I think was an attachment to old stories where I didn't want you doing or behaving a certain way. Yeah. And I was like, that's not what you would do with a goddess. Yeah. It's not appropriate at some level. So that day, I I know the date, it was May 9th. (laughs) I, that was, the opening of a door that I didn't see coming. I, and, you know, and we go back to the research on psilocybin and, you know, it is said to not over, you know, put too much fine a point on it, but we experienced this, that it's like weeks or months of therapy in a day. And the thing was those realizations, those connections, those healing, that awareness we had of one another, the desire to uplift each other, to really support each other's highest good and, you know, greatest intentions for how to show up in this world. That didn't ever go away. Like it wasn't a one and done from that day. It, you and I have continued to see each other through that lens and hold that space for one another, uh, both, you know, our humanness as well as our God and goddessness around Mm -hmm. 
how do I support the energy and essence of this person I am so deeply in love with? When I remember there was research on psilocybin I saw several years ago that said, magic mushrooms changes your personality 10 years after taking them. And I was like, holy shit, I have to read that. Like, that's got to be bad. And I read it. And what stayed 10 years later was people were more open-minded and more flexible in their thinking. And I was like, oh, those are both really good things. Yeah. And and so the the changes linger, the the changes stay with you. I mean, like the realization that all things are interconnected is massive. Yeah. Well, and, and this has led down a pathway. Um, and for those who are listening who aren't aware, but psilocybin has, you know, gained so much momentum in the psychology and therapy world. It's considered the fifth wave of psychotherapy. There's a psychedelic renaissance occurring right now. The studies are proving to be very effective for the majority of people. Not everyone is a right candidate for this kind of therapeutic work. But in anticipation of the legalization, which is pending in the next year or two, along with the legalization of MDMA, which is a man-made drug that was originally used for couples therapy back in the 70s because it decreases the defensiveness. It quiets down the amygdala, the part of the brain that gets triggered. So it allows you to have conversation without fear of reactivity, defensiveness, and you are more open to hearing each other and to connecting and elicit positive emotions. So in anticipation of the legalization of those substances, this actually helped us embark on getting certified in psychedelic-assisted therapy. So when they do become legal, we can support people through a journey in the integration of their experience because we have experienced the depth an absolute profound impact of our own healing. And one of the things that I love in one of the research that we've come across is an image that shows what the brain is normally like in which there's, you know, defined schemas or the way in which we see things or the way that we understand or process patterns in the thinking, the patterns and the psilocybin disrupts those schemas. So you are now have all this new interconnectivity in the brain of the way you see the world and that openness is what we need to heal, right? As long as we were looking through the negative lens, you and I didn't have a chance at healing. Mm-hmm. I, I think we would have gotten there eventually because I don't really think either one of us ever wanted to be without the other. Right. And with the support of these medicines to open up our brain in a way that we've never been able to get to or sit with has been one of the most absolutely healing things that I've truly ever, ever experienced. And it's not just been healing with each other, but, you know, to be able to heal some childhood wounds or wounds from other, you know, past relationships, that the possibility for healing is, is huge. And it also, I, I, I think helped us realize this is another layer and level of the work that we are doing with our own clients. And you and I have been doing actually more couples work together than we ever have, which is mm-hmm. so much fun. I, I I love when we do this work together because A, you and I are so connected that we can read each other's minds when we're working with a couple to really know how to support them, but not only knowing what each other is going to say in anticipation of how the other is going to show up, we complement each other quite well in that space, but also recognizing shit. 
so much of the stuff that gets in the way of a really healthy partnership is all the shit you bring into it. Mm-hmm. The past relationships, the childhood, the stories, the insecurities, the anxieties, the fears, the narratives that prevent us from being really vulnerable, authentic, feeling safe. And that's huge. If we can help yeah. people, and we already are, like, right? I mean, I know that we already are by evidence of this conversation. Giving people permission to recognize their own limitations aren't always their fault. One, and I think one of the points that bears speaking, bears sharing, is the information that you learn via psilocybin, and I imagine other psychedelics, is not merely cognitive. It is a felt knowing at the deepest sense of who you are. I, I don't know how to explain it any better than that, but it's like it changes the cellular memory in your body. It, it's it's a felt sense. It's an embodied knowing. It's yeah. not merely cognitive, which is, I think, one of the biggest issues that we have with therapy or that I have with therapy is it's primarily cognitive. And we know that most of our behavior is emotionally driven. And if those emotions are trauma-informed, you know, cognition or thinking is somewhat limited in in kind of this top-down approach to trying to regulate your nervous system, which may or may not be that successful. Right. And what we haven't shared yet is this also opened the door to real spiritual healing. And sp- not yeah. just spiritual healing, but spiritual awakening. awakening. Yeah. yeah. And that continues to unfold. And that has been an amazing journey to share in together. And the signs that we both have received and the way that the universe is connected with us in very clear and obvious ways has been extremely powerful. And I, I feel like you know, from a year ago to today, you and I are just on a different plane than we once were of our own self-awareness, self-compassion, compassion for the other, interconnectivity, acceptance, seeing one another in its entirety without any judgment. I mean, that's not, and you know, that's not to say that we still may not have disconnection, but they're not as strong. They don't last as long. They don't go as deep and we're able to recover a lot faster. One of the big changes that I see us having made is the ability to hear one another non-defensively. Like I've never in my life felt so heard. Mm. And, And that is such a revolutionary game changer. Because, uh, you know, and then folks, you've probably heard us talk about, you know, the fact that two thirds of the issues in relationship are unresolvable, according to research, that it's just shit you fight about over and over and over, but there's no resolution. There's no way you can resolve it. If that's the case, then either you got to find a new partner, which, oh, by the way, you'll have the same two thirds of issues that are unresolvable, or You've got to find some way to radically accept that this is the case and realize that maybe the best we can do in these situations is just to hear how our partner is seeing the situation and how it makes them feel. And there's no fix to it. And if that's the case, then being heard becomes monumental. And and this brings up, well, first of all, I just want to say I, I really got 
teared up when you said that. And I'm so grateful you feel so heard. And I've always told you that I, I want to love you like no one ever has. And, and you I, I, and now I, I really have made you feel that way. So I'm, I'm so happy for that. But one of the things, and I know we've got to wrap up in just a minute, but this is a really big, important piece of all of this. Our ability to be non-defensive in our hearing of one another allowed something major for me. And me. Which was, I had to learn how to get angry. I had to learn to tap into my anger and be able to express my anger because believe me, John did a lot of things that really got me angry, but I was so afraid of sharing them for fear he'd leave me. And when I was able to access my anger without me being afraid of it and then share it, it was way out of my comfort zone, but he was able to receive it without defensiveness or reactivity, which gave me permission to continue to feel it and to honor it was real. I'd always pushed it down. I'd never been safe to express anger before in my life. And I had this big realization one day of, wow, if I can get angry at John and still love him and still want to be with him, then that must mean he could get really angry with me and still love me and still want to be with me. And that thought was revolutionary for me. And I'm not saying it was easy. And there were a couple of days you and I had actual screaming fights. Mm -hmm. I've never done that before. And it was scary as hell. And then it got it out. Mm -hmm. And then it was healed. And then I wasn't so afraid of anger anymore. And now I don't ever, and we've talked about this. I don't see either one of us ever accessing that level of anger again. Mm -hmm. But if it did, I know I could get through that. When, and I think the other part is both of us learned to become non-defensive in our listening where, you know, you could get angry at me and I knew it was healthy for you to get in touch with that anger and to express it to me. And I just listened to you and at the end said, thank you so much for sharing your anger with me. Yeah. And that's it. And it took a while for us both to be able to do that. But once we did and got skilled at just appreciating the honest expression allowing the room for that emotion to be there, that was another massive game changer. It was huge. And I've never, ever, ever felt more connected to you. And we both have talked about this recently. You know, we started off this conversation really highlighting what was an anxious attachment and avoidant attachment dance. And Caleb, what's, what's your attachment style right now with me? I feel pretty secure. Yeah, I feel really secure. And and I agree. I've never felt more connected to you. And I don't feel any of that old irritation or annoyance or hurt. No. And, you know, we've also done a lot of work to step towards one another in making sure some of those patterns that were hard in the past aren't there, right? So those promises to one another aren't empty words. They're showing up in action. And that makes a big difference, too. Yeah. So we did it. This we did it. We didn't. We didn't get flooded, and we were able to share a, a really important story that I'm hoping you listening um, has been insightful to perhaps your own relationship, your own journey of narratives, attachment style, traumas, communication, healing, repair. I mean, this is all not easy work, and 
John and I are here to guide you guys through it. And in fact, we are hosting a relationship retreat in Costa Rica just about a year from now, in September, end of September 2024. And we were good to do one last year and it wasn't the right timing. So we're, we're reinvigorating our intentions. But it, this is not just for couples. This is for anyone who wants to be more skilled in relationships, period. And a big focus of this retreat is going to be how to figure out what is your own shit getting in the way of you showing up. Because at the end of the day, that was a big piece. Not all of it, but that was a big piece of where you and I were stuck. And unfortunately, we won't have mushrooms at the retreat. Not this one, maybe in a few years. Full disclosure. (laughs) (laughs) Love, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. I love you very much. I love you so much. And I really, um, you know, we... One of the things that we did when we got back together was we were able to go to a conference up in Vancouver where we got to see mm-hmm. a lot of top therapists speak and had the pleasure of connecting with Terry Real. And I told him, you know, how you had just broken up with me and you, then you came back and we got back together. And Terry looked at you and said, it took a lot of courage to break up with her, but it took more courage to come back. So thank you for being my partner on this journey. I couldn't be happier. Thank you for being mine. And if this episode spoke to you guys, we would love a rating, a review, a share. Some more people can journey forward and become more evolved cavemen in their lives and relationships. And the link for our couples retreat is in the show notes. There's early bird pricing through the end of 2023. So if you want to jump on that, then I would take advantage of the opportunity. And I I think we should do more of these conversations together. Yeah, I I think we have to do one about the uh, spiritual evolution piece. I would love that. There's a lot to share in that. And as always, thank you for listening. Appreciate it. And if you didn't like this episode, you don't have to do a damn thing. That's it for this Take care and be well. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 